This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Nikki French, welcome to Better Reading. Lovely to be here. Really nice. Thank you for having us. Well, now you can hear two voices. And for those of you that don't know, Nikki French, the very, very famous author, is two people. It's Sean and Nikki. Nikki French is a pseudonym for the writing partnership of journalist Nikki Gerard and Sean French. The couple have been married since 1990 and have written well over 20 novels together, including The The Lying Room and House of Correction. The Favour is their latest thrilling novel, which follows a woman whose decision to help out her first love turns deadly when she finds out she's caught in the middle of a murder investigation. It's a gripping and chilling story of how one good deed could cost you everything. Now, listen, there are so many people that don't know that you're two people. Yeah, but you know that's that's the way we like it, really. I mean, we I think we always I mean because what we what I and mean, the reason, for example, that we, we call Nikki French and not Sean French and Nikki Gerard is we want we we want the for a start, Nikki French is an actual I think is a real writer. You know, it's, it's you know it's a third voice that we've created. I think, and we want people to that to hear that this one person telling them a story. And it's not, I think that we often, we almost worry that the idea of two people would just be a distraction because, and it's, you know, I think sometimes like our um, people who know us very well and family members, they're almost our worst readers because they're the ones who keep thinking, oh, this bit sounds a bit like Sean or, you know, that sounds like something Nikki mm. would have done. And and it's, that's such a wrong way of approaching our, you know, I think when, because although we, you know, we, we write separately, uh, and then edit each other's work, but but it's also we. I think when I mean the, for me, what's so exciting about working with Nikki? One of the things that's so exciting and fulfilling is it gives me a chance to become a different writer when I do it. I think I become Nikki French. Yeah, so Nikki French is a real writer. It's not just a mashup of two voices, and it's not a struggle between styles, and it's definitely not a compromise mm. between kind of Sean and myself. It's quite the opposite. It's almost like we're leading ourselves into new areas of writing. And when we write, we write into this voice. So those readers who don't know that we're two people, they're right in a way. They're right because when we write as Nikki French, we are Nikki French. Mm. Do you know, and you'll know this, um, um, having been in, in the industry for this long, and you came to our office in Sydney just a couple of weeks ago, actually. I wasn't there, unfortunately. Um, and hopefully um, the the team would have taken you through our, our kind of community, if you like. And do you know, I find they're all just about story. They're not really that interested in the background and the technique and the style and the craft. And a lot of them don't even care about genre. They just want to read a good story. 
Well, I think that's, I mean, in a way, that's what we all, you know, that, what, you know, what you want to do is to lose yourself in a book. It goes right back to when you're, when you're four years old and you're having your first book read to you. There's, there's that magic of going into another world. And, that, you know, that's what reading's all about, isn't it? I so agree. I mean, when you say they don't care about genre, that's interesting, because when we first started writing together, I mean, obviously we wrote a psychological thriller, and that's what we've gone on writing. So we do write in this particular genre. But we didn't set out thinking, this is the genre we're going to write in. We didn't think about it as being a genre. We had a story that we needed to tell and a way that we needed to tell it. And it so happened to be a psychological thriller and in fact psychological thrillers can do everything they, they're such it's such a kind of beautifully elastic form you can do anything you want within that when you say people only care about story I think people care I mean story is like hardwired into us the need to have stories and that's mm. absolutely true but when but you know I think people also care about characters they um, do they and, do and, and character is as imp- when we think about the idea for a book, we we have the idea for the story, but we also have the idea for a character. And indeed, at the series that we wrote about Frida Klein, who's a psychotherapist, the source of that was Frida, not the not the plot that she was going to live through. So mm. we have two. We we think about there are various ingredients that we think about when we're thinking about our books. One is a plot that will pe- keep people kind of guessing and on the edge of their chairs and needing to find out kind of what 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 happens. And the other is the kind of the journey of the characters and who the characters are and how mm. they'll get into our heart. And actually there are other ones like the setting. You know, it's setting. Mm. Mm. setting and the normal. setting can be a character. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So also, the thing is, you can have the cleverest story in the world, and if you don't care about the people, or you, or they're all in this. You know, I mean, there is a danger sometimes in some whodunit uh, stories where, where you get to the end. I hope, I hope it's not of our ones. You get to the end and find, and then the, you reveal whodunit, and you have to think. Now, which character was that? I can't remember. You know, I think whatever kind of book you're—I'm talking about fiction now. Mm. Whatever kind of fiction you're reading, you—you you, you have to—you get caught up with the. You know, it is about that very strange thing. But you suddenly get very worried about the mm. characters, and you—they become like your your friends, or your, or sometimes like your enemies. You know, and yeah. there's that emotional engagement. It's such a mysterious business. How we can how very yeah. quickly the book works. It just becomes real, like a part of your life. I remember very distinctly when I read Still Alice all those years ago when it came out. Do you know that book, that beautiful yes. book about the lady with dementia? And I was up to a, a part in the book where she's, you know, the dementia is terrible and she can't find her way home. And I had to the book put the book down for whatever reason, go to work or get the bus, and I got so worried about how, how will she be <laughs> when yeah. I'm not here? <laughs> And well, I, remember, I, well, I remember reading the book. You know, the, what's it called? The mysterious incident of the dog in the night time. Yes, and yeah, yes, yeah. And there's, I think there's a scene where he goes on the underground where his pet rat we're carrying it, and the rat escapes and runs out. And I was so got so worried about how, what was happening to this rat, whether it would survive and be found. I had to actually flick ahead about fifteen pages just to check that the rat would be okay. And I thought that was really interesting. I'm now really emotionally invested in a, in, yeah. a, in a rat. Yeah, fiction. Yeah, rat. but I yeah. also, you know, I think we're that's so yeah. interesting about that relationship you have. And actually, we thinking about that as writers, we do that a lot with our characters. I mean, characters just can take over. So, yeah. so there was one book that we wrote 
uh, called Land of the Living, which begins with a, a woman waking up in the darkness. We wanted to begin with this idea of utter blank. So she's kind of tied up and she can't see anything. And but she can't remember anything either. Um, she can't even remember her own name, and bit by bit things return to her, and she's lying in the dark. And we had this idea that that was going to, to take about 75 or 100 pages of her being in the darkness. Mm. And after about 30 pages, we thought, we just we have to get her out of there. This is she'd been there too long. We have to get her out. And it was like almost like an, a moral imperative to get her out of there. Or mm. in other novels, there are characters. And they take, they don't do what you tell them to do. You know, so you think your novel is going to go in one direction and the characters are disobedient and they know better than you mm. do often. It was Lisa Genova that wrote that wrote Still Alice that just came to me. Just following on from character and story, I think sometimes too, and I don't know if you, you may or may not agree with this, sometimes if place doesn't work. You know, sometimes people set a book in a place they haven't been to and sometimes you feel that in oh, the reading. Do you agree with um, that? Um, yeah. And that's interesting because I, I would see it in, on the whole in, an, in a positive way. I mean, I, I think when if I look at the books, I, love, I my favourite books, I always, the, set, the, I, the setting is part of the, you can, mm. you know, it's like Raymond Chandler's Los Angeles yeah. or... Elmore Leonard writing about Miami or whatever, whatever he writes about. Um, you know, so I think, I mean, in, I, I, I just think, I, I mean, I'm more aware, I think there's something fascinating. I mean, I'm also, I'm obsessed with films. And I've always think there's, I mean, I love films about London, you know, which is where I grew up and have lived my whole life. And I'm always especially fascinated when foreign directors come and make films in London because they always somehow they make it look strange. They they see a side they of the, do. The, the other people. So when like Roman Polanski or mm. um, or Antonioni in Blow Up, when they come, they suddenly although it's London and they're filming it, it just feels different. And mm. I think that's all, that's really fascinating. But I I absolutely agree that we, absolutely it's a decision we've made in our own books that we would never. We we would never write about an, an area that we didn't know very well because I just feel you just I feel you can smell the, mm. the reader smell it when you don't really. And, and I'm just sure it's possible to write about to write yeah. kind of very vividly and authentically about a place you haven't visited, but you need to have visited it in your imagination at least. You need to know mm. what the ground feels like, what the mm. air smells like, mm. what the just you just need to have an absolute kind of mm. visceral physical sense mm. of the place same way that you know it always feels important to us even if we don't tell the reader we kind of know what's inside the fridge or under the bed or something just mm. that sense of the devil being in the detail mm. um and i and i think that readers have an absolute sure sense of when somebody's when a writer is winging it when it's when it's not got deep mm. roots mm. Okay, I want to go back to how you came to writing, first individually, because you both got careers as writers, and then how you came together to write together. Uh, Shall we start with you, Nikki? So so unlike Sean, I grew up not in a house of books or of writers, although my mother used to read to us every day, and I read voraciously as a child and as a teenager and then ever since. And I always kind of had a dream of being a writer, but didn't really do anything about it. I mean, I I went to university and studied English. I had a kind of patchwork career. I kind of looked after emotionally disturbed children, and then I did them Phil, and then I did bits of adult teaching, 
And then I founded a magazine called Women's Review with a group of friends. It was about women's books and arts and did lots of writing for that. And then I kind of gradually worked my way into being a journalist. So by the time I met Sean, I had, I would say, well, I met Sean when we were on the New Statesman and I was being a literary editor. And from there, very quickly after that, I went on to the Observer newspaper um, and was a uh, a, a literary editor and then a and a reviewer and an interviewer and a feature writer and and so I was a writer as a journalist but until we wrote together I did not write fiction so the, my okay. the, the, so the memory game I don't know how well you can do the dates I don't no, know how well, old I was in the memory game. <laughs> um, well I, my my dad was a was a journalist and what he was a, as a, a radio producer at the BBC. And so I grew up in a house that was just all that was full of kind of talk about the arts and films and books. And so I, all, I just sort of, it was just like the family trade. It's as if my dad had been a cobbler or something, I'd be sitting mm. here making shoes, you know. And I, I just knew that I, that I was going to, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but I, but how I actually got into it was a bit weird because um, I went to university and then had no plan. I was completely directionless, had no idea what I was going to do. Or how I was going to do it, and I just went. I and I com- absolutely by chance went into a, comp- a kind of competition, a writing competition, and it, and and which if you and if you won it, which I, I won this competition, and you got you a job on Vogue magazine. So it was very bizarre. I suddenly went, and so I actually became a journalist very randomly, and then spent my twenties just doing all kinds of arts journalism, reviewing films, plays, interviewing people. That's got to uh, be a great job. It was really fun. It was, fun. It was yeah. very fun. And I was just doing working for lots of different papers, being a freelance. And, um, but never, and, but I always really sort of wanted to write books, but I never, just never got around to it at all. And so, yeah, so when Nikki, so, so it was, so when Nikki and I met, we were, we were both then journey, we were both kind of struggling. And are you going to tell me a little bit about the romance and what happened and how you guys yeah, well, met? <laughs> Well, it was very that in a way we we, we it was so sudden and that we t- we we actually later turned it into a thriller because it was <laughs> we thought it was very strange. So Nikki and I, I, I when I met we, were, we so I was like I was probably thirty I think and uh, uh, we were on, I was writing a column on the New Statesman and I met Nikki. She came in just she was doing a temporary job standing in for a, an editor there, and she just got divorced. And well, not not even divorced, just her marriage just broken up, and she had two came into the office with two tiny children, a two year old and a one year old. We completely just, I would say, I just completely fell in love with her, and we it happened in, insanely quickly. So we were we were living together within a ma- about a month, and we've got oh we were gosh. Mar- we you married. went from being not with no children, kind of, <laughs> getting up at ten in the morning, not doing anything, to having about four hours sleep a night. Very tired. He had to give up one of his jobs as being a film critic for a magazine because he would, in the daytime, he would go and sit in the little viewing theatre and just fall asleep um, and never see the film. Yeah. That was just yeah. impossible. So, and then we were married by the. So we, were, we, I think we started. We got together in March, and we were married by October. And but so uh, then a few. A few years later so uh, so, very, so to get to do this very very quickly we so we we just um we we just always talked about the idea of maybe writing together because it was all so much a part of our marriage and so we so, so we had an idea together for our first book the memory game but i was going to say that, that, that i want to know the conversation because it is unusual so who really was it 
<laughs> was it? Like, you know. I don't think you can say who was it. So we, because we read books and passed them between each other and talked about them, because when we wrote pieces, we were each other's first reader and editor. And right. Just, so you'd been doing that. So we so we've been doing that and we had a conversation about what is a what is it? You know, when you read a novel and there's a voice that speaks to you and it feels like there's this intimate relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. We had a conversation about what is that voice and could we make that voice between us? So we did have this feeling that one day when we had more time, we had no time at that point. And when we had more money, we had no money at that point. And when our life was chaotic, it was completely chaotic at that point. Mm. Then we would just see if we could write something, write, make one voice between us. So it was just like a kind of idea of something we would do in the future. And then we came across the idea for the memory game, which was about the controversy over recovered or was it false memory, whereby kind of women, it was almost always women, in therapy, recovered vivid memories of having been abused, often by family members or friends. Mm. And and on the evidence of that recovered memory alone, people were being sent to prison. And it was a big thing, especially in America. And we thought that's an extraordinary story and it would make a great new kind of thriller, which is a thriller that's happening inside of oneself, about the memory as well as outside. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. And we also had this very useful thought that's such a good idea. Somebody, else, if we don't do it, somebody else will. Mm. Um, and indeed, just after the memory game was published, we met a writer who was a bit grumpy with us. Who said, "I was halfway through my recovered memory book when yours came out," because mm. it's very easy to put off mm. starting. You know, lots of people want to. Yeah, but you you'd know this, um, Nikki, that you can have two books about the same subject, of course. And that'd be completely different because nobody has your style of storytelling. Well, of course, that's true. But on the other hand, there are lots of examples where there was a very famous example. Where, did you ever read the book called The Master by Hong Toy Beans? No. Writer. And it was about Henry James, the writer Henry James, at a particular stage of his life. And when he wrote that book, at the same time, David Lodge, also a very well-known writer, was writing exactly the same book. And they kind of came out together. And David Lodge's was just shipwrecked and cold. You don't really want to. I mean, it's a very particular, you know, it's not a, It's not like saying we're going to write about a love affair. Mm. Well, you know, there are, there, are, there, are, there are lots of kind of 
ideas that are repeated and repeated and repeated and will be till the end of time. But the idea about recovered memory was quite niche. So yeah. I think it was good that we got in there first. <laughs> anyway, it was certainly a rocket that kind yeah. of propelled us into writing. And then when we, we wrote it, we delivered it. And then there was an auction for the book. And when we signed, it suddenly we suddenly discovered that not only had we signed a contract for this book, we'd signed a contract for the second book as well. And in a way, so we... We became Mickey French. Mm-hmm. And was that something that just came organically as well? Well, well <laughs> organically. We, well, you know, in a way, I think that, uh, I th- well, I think the funny, I think maybe I, 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 the, the, it was it was funny. Because I think what became or, organically was not an intellectual choice, was because the first book was about a woman, had to be, it was a, the story of a woman told told in the first person and because of that we chose that we chose a female name to go on the cover rather than Sean Gerard and we almost then found ourselves and I think this was an organic thing we found ourselves writing stories about women you know and so from then on we wrote a series it just felt it, it felt a natural and again this wasn't a plan it wasn't a decision that but this Nikki French the third person in our marriage the kind of stories she's you know when we we spent all our time talking about what ifs, could we do a story about this? Could What about this? Or, and it tended to be about stories that happened to, with women protagonists, you know, and, mm. and that's, that takes you in a different journey. I think that's why we tended to write more kind of internal psychological thrillers, maybe, more than mm-hmm. people going out and investigating I mean, we, and having yes. events. I mean, we, ne- we were never going to write police procedurals. I mean, there are some terrific police procedurals out there, but that's not what we're interested in. We're interested in, in, interested in kind of extraordinary things happening to ordinary people about being one step away from disaster kind of living on thin ice and we're interested in kind of intimate terror not huge kind of not terrorism out in the world it's kind of what happens Mm. inside family inside relationship what happens when you realize you can't trust somebody or you can't trust yourself you know just those things that everybody lives with and knows about on a daily basis just taking the kind of taking kind of daily emotions and turning the screw mm-hmm. and become kind of okay. I mean, I mean, going back to then what I was saying about when we, Nikki and I met. So we did. So our, our, when we came to our third book, um, and this is probably, uh, uh, we were having, just having a conversation a bit like what we're having now about how we met. We would, and we did suddenly to look to said we were cra- in a way we were crazy. You know, we, it all happened so quickly. And the stakes were very high for Nikki. She had two little children, and we 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 moved in together, and got married. And we we didn't really know each other that well. And 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 so we then thought, well, you could write a thriller about that, you know. And but about and, some... and then we thought we will write a thriller about that, and we'll write about it now, even though we're halfway through another book. We just threw away that other book, and that's the thriller we wrote. Yeah, and that and and which became the book "Killing Me Softly," which is our first, probably our first real success we had. Um, mm. And it was, you know, and I think that, but that's, to, and I think that's one of our, that's the kind of subject we're drawn to. So in a way, it's a bit like the new one, The Favour. It's not about someone who, an expert who's on the trail of a terrorist. It's more about, you know, in, in this, in The Favour, it's about so someone who's just having an, in the middle of an ordinary life, she's about to get married, doesn't know she's in a thriller, doesn't want to be in a thriller. And then suddenly just one, you know, one decision and everything falls apart, one bad decision. And I think with that, you know, I think you have to write about everyone you have to write about what's your subject, what frightens mm. you, what turns you on. And I think for I think what gets 
what frightens us is just how fragile life is. And you see it in your own life and you see it in people around you. We all know people who everything seemed all right for them and then something happened, you know, and and they suddenly, it all fell apart. And that's, I think there's something really interesting, I think, about exploring that. Mm. I want to ask a question about technique, right, the craft of writing, because we talk a lot about that on this podcast. How do you approach writing a book? Let's say, let's take me back to the beginning of, let's say, The Favour, uh, the book now, is how do you walk, walk away, Nikki, and, you know, type in the, the, you know, office, and do you walk away, Sean, and type in the kitchen? And, like, do you so, plan? So, what we do, so the first thing we do is we will spend weeks and months thinking about and planning the book. And it's, you know, we... we also, you could say how the favour is an idea. Thinking, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. So the favour is it's kind of... Well, we start by arguing you know, cross with, purposes. With the favour, we we had this idea actually for years and years that we wanted, that, that we had a kind of question about if somebody comes to you who means a lot to you for whatever reason or who you owe something to for whatever reason and asks you for a favour, do you unconditionally say yes before even knowing what that is? Mm. Or to be wary and we couldn't quite agree on that and because we couldn't agree it was we just it just had to be a book you know out of the argument with each other we needed to write a book Mm. um so we carried around that idea for years and it was only when we came up with the the kind of character of Jude the kind of main protagonist um who's seems to have her life completely sorted out. So you you see her at the very beginning, kind of with this kind of car crash and the, the end of a passionate love affair. But then you leap forwards to where she's in her late 20s. She's a junior doctor. She's got a, she's engaged to be married. They're about to buy a flat together. Her life is planned out and her life has always been planned out apart from this brief passionate affair. So she's a good girl. She's on track. And out of the past comes... Liam, her old flame, and he asks her for a favour. And because this is a Nicky French novel, she says, yes. And it's a terrible, it's Mm. a terrible decision Mm. that she makes. And as Mm. Sean says, her life unravels. So once we had that idea, then we spent, we spent a lot of time thinking about the plots, the kind of high points in the plots, where it was going to end up, who the characters are, what, what the setting is just we had to get everything kind of fixed, which doesn't mean to say that chapter by chapter it's kind of laid out, but we had the journey of the novel there and we knew who the, we knew what the feeling of it was. And then we mm. go in our separate directions. And here in Suffolk, I work at the top of the house in a kind of attic study, and Sean works out in a shed in the garden. So we're as far from each other as we can possibly be. Mm. And one of us, we never plan in advance who that one is, one of us will write the first bits, a first chapter, first part, and they will email it to the other who is then free to edit it or kind of add to it or change it or even erase it and rewrite it. And then they will write, say, the next bit. And that's how we proceed. So we're writing into the voice of Nikki French and we're editing each other as we go along. And then at the end, we'll go through it, we'll talk about it. One of us will do a big edit and then the other one will do an edit of that edit and that's how we go. So we're writing into the same voice. We're editing each other as we go and after. And then we mm. send it off to our agent. So is there a time where you think one of you thinks the other is going in a direction that maybe that character is not going in? And you well, correct we, each other? 
That's the, I think what we are, we're always just talking about it, always just discussing okay. about should this happen, should that happen. Yeah. But I mean, the thing is, I, I, I know of other people who've tried, to, you know, I think some people, even some people we knew who thought, well, if they can write together, we could. And most people just can't do it because they just, they, they, they just have to, their ideas are too different. And also, you know, I think more, they, in a way, they don't quite trust each other. I think that's the key thing is I think, the thing you described, if I think if I thought I'm sending a character in this in this direction, and I kept thinking Nikki's just trying to swerve it or just re- constantly rewriting it to do for an idea that's not mine that she's just stubbornly keeping to, we uh, we would have just you know we just could not could, like it. You know, we had it's all about trusting the other person. Unless you so, get you know, the ego. This is a machine or not yeah. a machine. That's the wrong maybe the wrong metaphor is, but. You know what does this? It's always what does this story need? What will make it? You know what's the, what will make it as good as it can? Mm. So I know that Nikki, that's what Nikki's doing when she's ruining my beautiful prose and taking mm. out this lovely thing I put in. But she's doing it because it's what this the service of the book. You know, not not because she wants a Nikki Gerard book. And so we are. We do correct you. We well, we edit each other. I mean, if if it and and obviously we surprise each other. So we don't quite. I mean. I never know what Sean is going to send to me. And sometimes, very often, it's surprising. But it's not surprising. And he's not kind of changed the plot. It's just his imagination has worked some kind of transformation. And usually that's when you know the book is working, when you're letting, when we're kind of both of our imaginations are free to do that. You know, it's kind of like a diary of a marriage, even in the writing. Oh, do you know, I really... Don't you think? Well, when I think, you know, if if we basically, for the last, you know, 25, 26 years, we've written... Each book is sort of written in a year, you know, it's a, it's a yeah. year of our life. And it, I think I, for, for, in a, just a purely personal way, I feel that it's like a diary of our, of what we lived through. And, you know, what that was what we were wrestling with that year. And also I think the books do feed a bit on what we were, things happening in our lives and to a certain extent. I mean, they're not, <laughs> I wouldn't say, you wouldn't say they're exactly autobiographical, but nevertheless, there are things, there are definite mm. things in our lives that we've made use of. And things that we were feeling, and you know, I mean, it's interesting. The one, I mean, the time that the, the one, the story we wrote about a teenage girl going missing was just at the time when we were having teenage children who were just at that period where they, but yeah. and also leaving home, but also having that period when when suddenly when they're fourteen, fifteen, when they're having secret, you know, you, you know, having secret lives from you because what is, this story losing you is about a, a mother who actually has to because her daughter goes missing, she has to like do, be investigate her own daughter's life, and it's this mm-hmm. idea of suddenly mm-hmm. discovering your teenage daughter has all these things, these secrets, which you and, there, and there's a very specific thing actually there to, to give an example of the way we use our own life. There's a scene where she has to do the ultimate taboo, as anyone who's had a teenage daughter will know. You're not allowed to go into their room, and she has to go go into the room and search through everything in her teenage. And, and but but to describe it, she this room that that features in the book, which is a terrible, chaotic mess. To describe it, Nikki and I. While one of our teenage daughters was at school, we went into her room. We stood we, on the threshold. Uh, we stood on the threshold. <laughs> we, just, we described everything. We wrote everything we could see, kind of apple cores and damp. Yeah. So we're really hoping she doesn't listen to this podcast <laughs> and realise what happened. You know, there might be a quarter family crisis. Well, we're out of time. Um, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. We have enjoyed it a lot. And I hope that bread is a triumph. 
All right. Thank you. It's been very nice. It's been very nice talking to you. Oh, it's been so lovely talking to you both. And um, hopefully I'll get to see you in Sydney. And just to explain bread to our listeners, I paused halfway through very kindly. I did check with Sean and Nikki and they said I could go and uh, do a stretch and fold on my bread. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Unfortunately, you won't get to taste it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. You take care. Bye-bye. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.